AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's, let's start, start with, with Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Welcome to our podcast. Please be aware the thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are their thoughts and opinions only and do not reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. We would like to encourage you to do your own research and discover the subject matter for yourself. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For over 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death, and so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. Back in 2005, I attended a conference in Atlanta, Georgia, called Afterlife, The Evidence. It was hosted by Tom and Lisa Butler, who wrote the book, There Is No Death and There Are No Dead. That was the very first time I had ever heard about Sonia Rinaldi. You may remember her from episode number one. She was my very first guest on Shades of the Afterlife, but I heard she was in Brazil doing these phone calls to the dead, recording empty space while talking to a parent. And when she played back the recording, the voice of their deceased child would be there. Now, so many years later, she not only receives voices, but also images. You may be interested in our upcoming event with Sonia. She'll be sharing with us her most recent experiments. 
you want to check out wedontdie.com and the store page. By the time you hear this, it might have already passed, but you can certainly watch the replay. The other person quite memorable to me was Dr. Gary Schwartz. He did a fantastic presentation about some of the double blind and triple blind experiments he did with mediums. Let me tell you about him. Dr. Gary Schwartz is a former Harvard and Yale professor. He is now senior professor at the University of Arizona in psychology, medicine, neurology, and psychiatry. In addition to teaching courses, he directs research at the Laboratory for Advances in Consciousness and Health. Dr. Schwartz has published more than 500 scientific papers. He served as the founding president of the Academy for the Advancement of Post-Material Sciences. Seven of his nearly two dozen books written include The Living Energy Universe, The Afterlife Experiments, The Healing Energy Experiments, The Truth About Medium, The Sacred Promise, An Atheist in Heaven, and Extraordinary Claims Require Extraordinary Evidence. And these books I mentioned are all related to his scientific investigations and findings addressing the survival of life after death. He frequently speaks about health and psychology, healing energy, survival of consciousness, and so much more, has been featured on some very prominent television and radio shows, and big newspapers like the London Times, the New York Times, the LA Times, and others. Dr. Gary Schwartz is married to a medium, the beautiful Rhonda, who I had an opportunity to meet both of them back in 2018, I think it was, with our friends from the Afterlife Research and Education Institute. Dr. Schwartz is also one of the people behind the soul phone. You may remember that we talked to Dr. Mark Pitstick back on episode 25. These words come to us from the International Spiritualist Federation, and it's a good group to keep an eye on. You can find their website at the isf.co.uk. And they've just started a YouTube channel with several interesting videos. You can find them on YouTube at ISF Science Forum. And of course, Dr. Gary Schwartz can be found at the soulphonefoundation.org. I am currently reading Dr. Schwartz's book, The Afterlife Experiments, which will give you a much deeper view. But I want to share these words with you. It is very rare to hear Dr. Schwartz, and on this episode, he speaks about the soul phone, about consciousness survival, about mediums, and more. So here is the incredible Dr. Gary Schwartz. I began doing research on the question of mediumship probably more than 25 years ago, which is quite extraordinary when I think about it. And the research began in secret because it was research that I was not doing because I had been um, a spiritualist um, or was even open to these ideas, just as a sidebar. You know, I have been trained in Western science. I've been raised in essentially an atheist home. I was taught that it was ashes to ashes, dust to dust, case closed. And I just assumed that that was true. 
And it wasn't until I was a, during my time as a professor of psychology and psychiatry at Yale University that I began to question all that and literally um, stumbled upon a theory and developed the theory, which among other things forced me to predict that not only was uh, uh, life after death possible, but was sort of required by our understanding of contemporary uh, physics and system science. But that didn't mean I was going to do research in that area. It was just, you know, a theory. There was nothing compelling me to do it. But then I had a series of experiences, actually mostly with women who had lost loved ones and really wanted to know whether their loved one's personality, consciousness, histories continued. These women were, they came from different walks of life. Some were scientists, some were writers, some were just regular people. But they each approached me and beseeched me to help them, help give them evidence. And so what I say to people is that I was pushed there by scientific theory and evidence, but I was pulled there by love, Linda's love for her father, Susie's love for her mother. And when you push and pull in the same direction, it's very hard to resist. So I'm sharing that with you because when I began doing this work, not only did I begin doing it in secret, but also I did it with no knowledge of the history of the field. I didn't know about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Harry Houdini. I didn't know about the early work in um, British Parapsychological Association or William James. I didn't know about any of the the spiritualism movement and and so on. And I didn't know also about other emerging literatures such as near death out of body experiences or reincarnation. This was not part of my education. It was not part of my upbringing. And so I I approached it with a childlike heart and interest, open-minded, but with all this background in science and experimental design and statistics and how to analyze data. And what happened was I was privileged to end up meeting some very gifted mediums who were really interested in science, and they considered themselves to be evidential mediums. And they wanted the world to know that they weren't frauds, that they weren't cold readers, that there was a real phenomena here. And I put them through ever more sophisticated experimental tests. And in every case, the mediums who were real, quote, passed those tests to the point where my first book was published in 2002, which is 21 years ago, which is called The Afterlife Experiments, Breakthrough Scientific Universe for Life After Death. And I was in awe of not only their gifts, but in awe of a greater spiritual reality that I didn't had no idea existed. And that the amount of love and caring that connected these both within and between these realms. Now, over the years, the research became ever more sophisticated. We ended up doing what are called single blind studies and then double blind studies and then triple blind studies. And a postdoctoral fellow who worked with me, who then created a neural instrument institute called Dr. Julie Beichel, she went on and even conducted um, 
five-way blinded experiments. Scientists, we get obsessed about experimental controls, particularly in controversial areas. And it became really clear that the conventional explanations could not account for this. And I reached the point where I didn't need any more scientific, quote, evidence to be convinced of it myself, nor did I feel that scientific evidence in that one area by itself would ultimately be convincing to the people who were extremely skeptical or, you know, the quote, disbelievers. So I began to shift my focus to research on technology. I went public with that work, that meaning in terms of publishing a, a couple of key scientific papers in 2010 and 2011 on the use of supersensitive state-of-the-art um, technology to detect the energy of spirit, the presence of the info-energy systems that comprise our, quote, energy bodies and so on. And I did that work always in collaboration with gifted mediums. And so that's the kind of work that I've focused on. And I have left the continued development of mediumship research to others. The one thing I can say, though, is that I've maintained relationships and particularly private research relationships with special mediums. And they, in turn, have written books about research that they've done with me through their practices and the like. I can honestly say I have witnessed hundreds and hundreds of research readings in a laboratory setting over, you know, the, the past quarter of a century. And I have witnessed probably thousands um, that were just more, quote, informal. And after all that time, I'm always struck with awe and wonder and gratitude and celebration for both the phenomena, including its mysteries. There are, I mean, there are a lot of mysteries, as you know, and the mysteries and the challenges, the difficulties that most mediums have, even the very best are, you know, the, what's the word? The, the more intellectual and spiritual questions about all of this are really, in some respects, you know, more interesting than just knowing that it's real. It's nice hearing his words, isn't it? Professor Gary Schwartz. Yes, it is. We're going to take our first break, and then we'll be back with Dr. Schwartz. So just stay tuned. Stay just where you are. <laughs> You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. 
It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com shades today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot shades. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey, folks, we need your music. Hey, it's producer Tom at Coast to Coast AM, and every first Sunday of the month, we play music from emerging artists just like you. If you're a musician or a singer and have recorded music you'd like to submit, it's very easy. Just go to coasttocoastam.com, click the Emerging Artist banner in the carousel, follow the instructions, and we just might play your music on the air. Go now to coasttocoastam.com to send us your recording. That's coasttocoastam.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey, it's Dr. Sky, and you're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. We're listening to some words from Dr. Gary Schwartz. He'll be talking a bit about the big picture of research into the afterlife and towards the end, a bit about what he calls the technology, which is his soul phone project. Let's listen. So let's first talk about the very big picture. The very big picture is that the kind of research that points to survival of consciousness, which is talking about the existence of a greater spiritual reality. And let's ignore, for example, theories from physics that point in that direction. Let's talk about data. There are many categories of data, each of which speak to life after death. And they have been uh, discussed in in many books, um, you know, and the latest, you're probably aware of the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies and their contest that they had and so on. And there are these bodies of work and the major ones are near-death experiences, there's after-death communications, there's reincarnation in children, there's deathbed visions, there's mediumship research, and the latest, of course, is the technology research. Each of those bodies of evidence have very compelling data. 
No one of those areas by itself is, quote, proof, although the one that would become the closest to providing truth is actually the technology for the reason that I'll explain, but it has not reached that, that level that you'd call proof level. But each of these individual level areas by themselves are not, quote, definitive. But when you put them all together, the convergence of the evidence, the consilience of the evidence, the whole is far greater than the sum of its parts. And there is no other alternative explanation that can account for all of the, that evidence. When you have a body of evidence where the, all of this evidence points in that direction, and the conclusion that I say is the single best theory that accounts for the largest amount of the evidence and also proposes hypotheses and experiments that could be proved or disproved in future research, that hypothesis is the survival of consciousness to hypothesis. And it's very easy to come to the conclusion if you know all the evidence. Now, within all that area, then there are this, we go to the specific domains. Mediumship within that, in, as one of those categories, is one that is quite strong. And what's interesting about mediumship compared to the others is that it can be, quote, brought into the laboratory. Right now, we don't do, you know, near-death experience research where we intentionally, quote, kill people or, you know, and then study them during these periods of time. There are very ethical reasons for not doing that, okay? But mediumship research, you can bring into the laboratory. Mediums can be brought in. They can do this under controlled circumstances. And the meta, what are called meta-analyses, where they've looked at, put the various studies together, there is a debate about which studies you include and which studies you don't include, which is always the case with meta-analysis. But again, the meta-analysis also, in general, support that same conclusion. Even when you limit it to the very best studies, the better the studies are, the clearer the conclusions are. So the mediumship research, again, if you know the research, it's hard to come to a different conclusion. Also, and this is where sophistication in the research area becomes important. So for example, there are conditions which are optimal for obtaining positive results. So for example, if you want to achieve positive results, you want to have skilled mediums who are evidence-oriented, who are minimally stressed, and can get into a state where they can feel comfortable receiving information and not worrying about whether it's correct or not, and not trying to, quote, target it. You also need to be able to have sitters for whom loved ones is a strong emotional bond and a reason for them to connect in this context. Um, and thirdly, you want to be able to design the research in such a way that it cl as closely as possible reflects what mediums really do in order to be able to receive the information that they get. Because scientists very often design these very naive kinds of experiments trying to be, quote, controlling, and they don't realize they're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And I wrote about that in 2002. So, you know, if you, if you know these areas of work and you're sophisticated at all, you realize that, yeah, it's very easy to not get a positive result 
and then say, therefore, quote, there's no phenomena because you didn't get it under your circumstances. The, one of the things, by the way, sidebar, that I have been very impressed with is how easy it, and how fragile mediumship is with the very best, what I call Michael Jordans of the mediumship world. Michael Jordan was a basketball player, or now the LeBron James or the Steph Currys of, of basketball. How easy it is to have the very best medium's performance deteriorate, if not be uh, completely impaired. I can design very simple experiments and under circumstances with the very best mediums that I were, and I know they're Michael Jordans, but they can't do the task. It's like saying, okay, um, we want you to uh, uh, see whether you get the balls in the basket, but but you, you have to do it wearing blindfolds. Well, most people that are free throw line, you know, if they put a blindfold on, they're going to miss most of their shots, even if they know where the basket is. I mean, there are just certain things that you can do that interferes with performance. But if you don't know what it is that is not optimal, but is actually interfering, you can have the phenomena disappear. Again, the sophistication is a, a factor. And again, the, some of the, there's been an article written recently, and I'm forgetting his name. I see it, but I can't say it. He's a Brazilian scientist, but they've written a methodological analysis of the optimal conditions to obtain mediumship, not from just a control, removing fraud or removing, you know, making vague general statements, but optimizing the conditions for getting a positive result as opposed to. The third area is in the technology. And the technology area, which is the one that I've been focusing on for the past 10 years, I'd like to draw the distinction between proof of concept and proof of product, proof of practicality, as opposed to proof of possibility. So there's a proof of possibility versus a proof of practicality. When you look at the totality of the data that we've collected, much of which is still not published partly because of issues of um, intellectual property and in the business world, part of it about the ethics of all this work and also potential abuse. But when you look at the totality of, of that, the data, there is no question that we have achieved in our research proof of concept. We've even um, developed a paradigm for being able to do multi-center double-blind experiments, replicating the very things that we have done in the lab, quote, over and over. And there's no question that we get a real phenomenon. And the metaphor that I use is, is like the, a Wright brothers moment in the history of flight. You know, prior to the Wright brothers in the early 20th century, there were no powered airplanes and nobody knew whether it was possible to have flight. Um, and many people have tried and failed, in fact, died. But then on that one fateful day in, in Kitty Hawk, five people witnessed the, this wooden and paper and cloth plane take off. It had no windows, it had no chairs, there were no stewardesses. I mean, there was nothing that we just take for granted for flight today. I think the first flight lasted around all of 14 seconds or whatever. I don't remember the details of it. Uh, and then the plane finally crashed. It was completely impractical. But we knew that flight was possible. And that, by the way, the second time that when they tried to do it, the wind wasn't strong enough and the plane crashed and they had to build it again and the, the third time and so on. 
But once you knew it was possible, then it became an engineering challenge to go from proof, proof of possible to proof of practical. So we've been spending the past, particularly, I would say, four years now on trying to see whether we can, we call it tunnel emergence. So if, if we're in the tunnel and we can see the end of the tunnel, we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel, but we have not arrived through the tunnel. And the the issue is primarily one of an issue of signal to noise, because the the amount of the intensity of, quote, physical energy, be it, you know, um, femtoamp changes in current flow, or the behavior of single photons of light in a pitch black environment, we now have the technology to be able to measure these ultra tiny changes. And we have the statistics and the paradigm to be able to using techniques both in astro from astrophysics and also in EEG recording, what's called the evoked potentials, you can do some very clever things and, and decrease the signal to noise ratio. The problem is, as you get higher and higher sensitivities, you also pick up unanticipated noise problems, which have, have been the, what's the word, the Achilles heel almost of this work. And maybe that's not quite the right phrase. So let me give you an example. We were doing research detecting the, the capacity for our hypothesized spirit collaborators. We call them, you probably heard of the term post-material psychology and post-material science, but we refer to them as PMPs, or post-material persons or post-material participants. We affectionately refer to them as the A-team, and we're the B-team, because they know a lot more about what the other side is like than we do, um, and that includes very distinguished scientists. And we were studying the capacity to see whether or not we could detect subtle shifts in the absorption and reflection of light passing through a PMP's hand, because you know, um, quote, spirit of PMPs can appear fully formed. That's why people, certain mediums who can see can see spirit. They see a body, they see jewelry, they see clothing, they see hair. It's all, you know, there. And they can engage in tasks just like we can. It's time to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, 
including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for that certain someone who shares your interests in UFOs, ghosts, Bigfoot, conspiracy theories, and the paranormal? Well, look no further than ParanormalDate.com, the unique site for like-minded people. If you like the senior crowd, try ParanormalDate.com slash seniors to meet like-minded people that are 60 plus. It all depends on what you prefer. ParanormalDate.com is great for everyone. You can also tap into members that are 60 plus at ParanormalDate.com slash seniors. Enjoy your search and have some fun at ParanormalDate.com. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. The best afterlife information you can get while you're alive. Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we're listening to Dr. Gary Schwartz talk about the latest experiments, what's called the Soul Phone Project that they're working on, how PMPs, which stands for post-material people, how they can block or interfere with a ray of light, making their presence known under laboratory conditions. And just in the same way that we obviously block a beam of light, In principle, they should be able to not block, but they should be able to subtly alter the behavior of light passing through them under controlled circumstances. And we developed super sensitive technology using optical tables in the whole nine yards and and multi-reflecting mirrors so we could pass the light back and forth through the hand over and over again so you could accumulate the effects. I mean, we did very creative things. And we built this piece of apparatus and then we couldn't use it. You know why? Well, first of all, any kind of vibration, any car in the driveway or a block away would produce bigger effects than them. But secondly, we couldn't calibrate the mirrors because the system was so sensitive. We're using micrometer mirrors. The problem was that our body heat walking up to the equipment Um, And so we didn't have, unless you've got a completely environmentally controlled situation and you've got the technology to be able to control them remotely where you're not imposing heat like this, you're immediately producing confounding variables. That takes a lot of money. 
So there's been a challenge of, it's not that we don't have the technology to be able to develop this kind of precision and measurement. It's that we don't have the resources now to implement it. And most people who have money don't see what it would mean. They don't recognize what it would mean if it was really possible to produce what for the lay public we call a soul switch, a binary switch that would be the equivalent of a keystroke. Because if you could go from proof of concept to proof of practical, and what do I mean by proof of practical? Where when our PMP makes a response within a finite period of time, we could be 99% sure that it was them and not an artifact. And if you can do it for one switch, then you can do it for 40 switches. If you can do it for 40 switches, you have a keyboard. If you have soul texting, you've now got direct communication, just like we communicate by email and text all the time. And for the first time ever, real communication becomes possible. The issue is not technological, and the issue is not conceptual. It's ultimately engineering practical. And if you don't have the resources to create the code clean rooms and to have the people who have the expertise in the various components working collaboratively as a team, you can't make that quote breakthrough. So what's happened is that we've gone from where it would take us 10 or 12 hours of data collection and analysis to where we can now, probably within five minutes, get an average single response that is statistically significant. Now, that's a huge increase in time and practicality. But if you have to wait five seconds for a key press, and then you're not 100% sure it's statistically true, but it's not 99% true, then it's not a practical communication device. So we're getting closer and closer to having, you know, eventually an airplane that would fly. And I say we, it's not just we as you know, the team that I lead, but we as humanity and also them to be able to, together with us, produce those kinds of effects. We're in the process. I'm hoping that by the end of the summer um, or early fall is we're going to have a book tentatively called The Soul Phone Experiments that lays out enough of the research and the case for the soul phone including its opportunities and its pitfalls, which includes its potential abuse. This is not a technology that should be, quote, available until we can treat it with the reverence, respect, gratitude for being able to have such an opportunity. The question was then asked to Dr. Schwartz, what can mediums and researchers learn from each other? Oh, boy, that is a beautiful question. First of all, let's assume that we have genuinely open-minded, curious, and willing to be educated researchers who are not coming in thinking they know the answers or that their explanations are correct. They approach what a spiritualist, for example, a medium and someone who is more broadly spiritual, um, can share with them. So they'll listen with an open mind and an open heart. I call that loving openness. Uh, as my writing partner once referred to me, 
for the Afterlife Experiments book, as well as the, uh, I wrote a book called The Energy Healing Experiments and also The G.O.D. Experiments. Um, he used to describe me as being an orthodox agnostic. And what he meant by that was whether the question was, is there gravity or is there God? My response is, I don't know, could be yes, could be no, show me the data, I'm open. And the plus side of being an orthodox agnostic is that you're willing to listen to anything, you're willing to entertain, and you're willing to be wrong, you're willing to have, you have humility, you're willing to, enter, you know, you're, you're seeking the truth and you're going to follow the data where it takes you. You're not going to be uh, prejudging whether something is true or not. Um, and I've discovered that makes actually for a very good scientist because it leads you to be open to surprises and to be, you know, willing to change your mind as a function of what you learn. The downside, by the way, turns out to be personal. Because if you have, quote, a disease called science, which I do, I call it a disease, because I am on a sidebar and say, what do I mean by disease? Um, because I sort of can't help myself. Somebody tells me something, some, they'll share some, some curious idea or experience they have or some crazy, whatever. And what will happen is I'll hear their, their experience. It'll then get translated into a question. Then a question will become a hypothesis. Then the ideas will suggest themselves about how way that you can address this question. And then a thought experiment will pop into my head. If I had time, I had the money, resources, and so on, whether I could do the experiment, and then what can I conclude? It's so much of who I am, and I've been doing it for so many years, decades. I sort of can't not do it. It's just part of who I am. I met an, actually a neurosurgeon a few years ago was very spiritually oriented. And I um, told him about my disease, and he gave it an official diagnosis. He calls it scientitis, which I thought was pretty good. Um, and so I, I have a chronic case of scientitis. I don't think it's treatable, but even if it was, I would not seek the treatment. So anyway, you need scientists who are going to be open, who are going to listen with an open mind and a heart and say, and say okay, what would this mean? How would we go about testing this? How could we know or not know whether it's true? What meaning would this have for the things that we know in whatever field it is, psychology, biology, physics, whatever, based on what this means? So you need an open-minded scientist. But then you also need open-minded people in spirituality, people who are also willing to be open, to learn, to recognize that not everything that they were taught is necessarily the whole truth, is not necessarily completely accurate, and that all of us should be forgiven for our relative lack of knowledge or relative lack of discernment about what's the wheat and what's the chaff, what's the core essence and what's not. But if you can bring such a team of people together under the optimal conditions, the opportunity for mutual education and growth, both personally and professionally, and in service to the greater good, both here and, quote, there, um, is huge, I think. Next, Dr. Schwartz was asked, are there any ethical concerns that should be considered, and where do you see the future of survival research? I am not a medium. I do not see or hear spirit under most circumstances sort of joke and say, I'm like a blind man studying color vision. I have to depend on people who can see to give me the, the core phenomena that ask questions about and seek answers to. 
In terms of potential abuse, there are many. I think the the greatest abuse would be people who would get a hold of this technology. And I'm not talking about abuse as in abuse in terms of having false technology. A lot of people make claims that they have a, an app that can connect with spirit or a device that can connect with spirit. They make extraordinary claims in the absence of extraordinary evidence. That's one level of abuse. That, But I'm talking about abuse of if we actually have a real technology. And one of my primary concerns has to do with people who would use it for political or military aims, particularly in the area of spying and in also identity theft. And of course, the only way that you can anticipate potential abuse is to imagine you have technology and say, okay, if I wanted to use it for nefarious purposes, what kinds of things could I do with it? And so the kinds of issues that are arising with AI in terms of unanticipated potential negative consequences for society, the soul phone, if it were to become real, would need uh, substantial safeguards in order to minimize its abuse, both here and, quote, there. Right now, we're fortunate that we don't have a breakthrough technology. So it's not like we're... The, the runaway train hasn't started yet. But my feeling is... Um, and if I put a spiritual hat on, that it could be that the reason why we don't have a breakthrough yet is because we don't have the safeguards in place first. So if there's a higher intelligence, a divine intelligence, and in particular with this technology, wishes to, has wisdom, not just intelligence, but wisdom, it would hopefully help us grow to be better stewards um, and caretakers of ourselves and the and the planet before we were given the uh, the keys to this technology this is a good opportunity for our last break and when we come back we'll hear words from dr schwartz as to where he thinks the research into the survival of consciousness will go this is a rare opportunity to hear from one of the greats and to get a little insight into his mind and how it works. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Stay right there. There's more Sandra coming right up. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. 
I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The The Art Bell Vault has classic audio waiting for you now. Go to coasttocoastam.com for details. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, it's the Wizard of Weird, Joshua P. Warren, and you're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. And before we continue with Dr. Gary Schwartz, a couple of websites I think you may enjoy. The Soul Phone Foundation. It's a great way to keep your eye on what's happening with the soul phone. You can get involved. You can click on the about link and click on Gary Schwartz, PhD. You can read some of his books, including The Afterlife Experiments, which is what I'm currently reading. Also, I encourage you to follow our friends at the International Spiritualist Federation. Their website is theisf.co.uk. Or an easy thing to remember is go subscribe to their YouTube channel. There's only a few videos on there now, but I expect great things from them. And that's easy to remember, ISF Science Forum. So let's continue with Dr. Shorts. In terms of your question about where survival of research is going to go. I think that there's the issues of knowing that it's here, knowing that it's real, and all the transformations that could take place 
in terms of uh, one of my, well, two of my favorite and extremely difficult challenges for humanity, especially if a soul phone comes along, but even if it doesn't. The first thing has to do with if there is no death, there's only transformation. Then the way that we allow people to die presently is truly um, savage and horrific. The truth is we're kinder to our pets than we are to our parents. And so the notion of dying with dignity and being able to um, physically transition in a way that you could be prepared and look forward to future evolution would affect the grieving process, obviously. Um, there's all that whole area. A second area has to do with increasing integrity for maintaining relationships, including both abuses of inheritance and also people's, even their, their names, um, defamation, the phenomenon of defamation. It's bad enough to defame someone if it's false when they're alive, but it also is really horrific if you do it when somebody is deceased. Because not only does it hurt the people who are living that love them, and, but it also hurts those who have died. And you can say, well, you, people don't care anymore about, about what you think about them. But they care that their loved ones are hurt and are being hurt. Um, and they also care about truth. And caring about truth doesn't just disappear because you've transitioned to another state of being. Also, you know, very often, for example, um, money has been given to people's wills and then their children fight over how it's going to be used or even worse, the money is given for causes. You know, you took take some of the quote wealth that you've accumulated and you want it to go to a university to support particular research or to support a particular charity. And then after the person's died and the, the money gets re reapportioned for some other purpose. Well, you know, to what extent do you have the right, if you haven't died, is there some way that you should be able to have some say in how your funds are, are spent after you've passed? Or what if you come up with a technology, you're a scientist, you come up with some application that would benefit humanity and you help humanity to develop that technology? If you want, should you have some say in how it's developed, particularly if it's going to be used for purposes that are not in, in your ideal. And you can even ask the question about, well, if it's, quote, your idea, shouldn't you have the right, for example, if, if some of those funds were yours, if you were here in the physical, maybe you'd like to have those funds given to your grandchildren, albeit, but you've now done it from the other side. There are so many questions that become put on the table once we start thinking about, well, what if the public began to really accept that this was real? Are there post-material person's rights? Are there responsibilities? Huge questions, and I think they will require a lot of reflection. And when Dr. Schwartz was asked what motivates him to research mediums and survival, here's what he has to say. It is first and foremost fundamental truth-seeking. I'm old-fashioned, where I genuinely care about truth, regardless of what it is, whether I like it or whether I dislike it, whether I approve of it or not approve of it. One of the greatest gifts we as humans have is the capacity 
to learn things and know whether something's real or not. It, does, it doesn't really matter whether it's survival of consciousness or the existence of angels or, you know, any other spiritual realm or anything in the physical world. Part of the driving force, of course, is truth-seeking. That's number one. Number two is a sense of responsibility to seek truth that, that is of service to humanity and the greater good. You can say it's an ethical sense, it's a spiritual sense. I can you know, see, approach it from different points of view. For me, they're still all, all merged because they're, they're all pointing in that direction. But to the extent that you can do things that are, quote, win, 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 they win for the individual and they win for relationships and they win for larger elements of quote, society, but also are good for now, not just the person in their physical form. You take a longer and bigger view. So even though I am not a pastor, I am not a religious person in that sense, I went into psychology caring about the human mind and the, the human heart. And then when I discovered that that mind and heart continues after physical death, I care about people's minds and hearts, i.e., quote, their souls, whether they're here or there. And to the extent that what you do here has bearing on there and what you do there has bearing on here, especially if there's a recycling process um, and an evolution process, then this is probably one of the most important issues facing humanity. And we do a lot of um, very unfortunate things to each other because we don't know out of ignorance. My motivation for this, I began to see it was much bigger in a much larger context and therefore felt it was really, really important. Also, so it's, it's not just to help a grieving parent make peace with the fact that their child may have died. Also, maybe have them look forward to being able to be reunited with their child if they like in the future, or even continuing a relationship with them right now, if they wish. Yes, all of that's very important to me. But that's not, it's not just simply reducing people's pain and suffering. It's much broader. And I also see, when I put on a bigger lens, that survival of consciousness is a, a step to even bigger questions. So for me, I happen to have a I'll call this a, this is a, quote, pet interest, no pun intended, and not a, just a pet interest in survival of consciousness of your pets and, you know, animals and all that kind of stuff. But I have a pet interest in the, what I call the saint hypothesis, the idea that certain people who are, quote, bigger than life in this life, who are deeply loving and caring, that they can be given the opportunity and choose to continue to be of service to people on this planet, for example, if they wish, in the form of, in a religious context, and that there may be truth to the idea that you can pray to specific saints with the right intentions, and will sometimes receive guidance and help from these people who are so caring. If that was true, it places, quote, humanity in a higher, greater light. And then imagine that there are even higher beings the quote angel hypothesis. And I published a book in 2011 called The Sacred Promise, How Science is Discovering Spirits Collaboration with Us in Our Daily Lives, where the last quarter of the book, I applied it to the quote angel hypothesis. And I showed that you could apply the technology that we've been developing, both with mediumship and with actual technology, to detect the presence of physical people and extend that to 
angels to the extent that they wished to collaborate in research and they wished their presence to be known. For me, it, my motivation is multi-level. And I think on top of that, I then feel a moral and ethical responsibility to continue to play a role in nurturing that to unfold. Although, you know, I would prefer there to be saints, prefer there to be angels. I'd rather there be a universe of an infinitely compassionate and intelligent mind. My job as a scientist is not to confirm the way I wish the universe to be. My responsibility is to, to help contribute to understanding how it really is. And so that's what I consider to be my moral and ethical job. But to the extent that these good things are on the horizon and the evidence is pointed that way, then I feel an added responsibility and gift of the opportunity to play a small role in that process. Good things certainly are on the horizon. Just remember to go visit the soulphonefoundation.org and our new friends at the isf.co.uk or next time on YouTube, just type in ISF Science Forum. Keep an eye on them. Good things to come. I feel the same as Dr. Schwartz. It's our responsibility to continue to explore, to continue to share. I love what he said about Wilbur and Orville Wright. It was about 120 years ago when the first flight was taken. And look where we are now. When you take a flight, do you ever think about Orville and Wilbur? I sure do. Because I think of the conversation being changed about the afterlife. I know it won't be 120 years from now. It will be much, much sooner, probably in our lifetimes, when most people are communicating with their loved ones and feel confident about the afterlife. So you bet I'm going to do everything I can to share everything and everyone that I know. With that, a reminder to come visit me. Come visit our Sunday gathering. Join about 15 minutes early so you can say hello. That's our non-denominational Sunday service with a flair. Medium demonstration, great music, and it's a lot of fun. Take a medium class, see what we have going on, join our Facebook group. Just go to wedontdie.com. Good things there and so much more. I'm Sandra Champlain. I really want to thank you for listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And if you like this episode of Shades of the Afterlife, wait until you hear the next one. Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies 
Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.